Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. It is game week. That is right. We'll be Florida, Miami this weekend in Orlando. So we'll begin talking about that game. We'll do that throughout the week and a lot to get to. Also, we've got uh, some news out of uh, South Carolina and a former SEC coach with a very serious health issue uh, that, that we'll get into. I want to remind you that support of your Locked On SEC Football podcast comes from Manscaped, the number one uh, in men's below-the-belt grooming. You may have seen them on Shark Tank. Manscaping offers precision engineered tools. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. 20% at manscaped.com. That's 20% off at manscaped.com with the promo code LOCKEDON. So here we go, Chris. Uh, We talked a little bit about it. Uh, yesterday on a Monday, but there was so much news from the weekend with scrimmage Saturday that we we did that a lot. But uh, it's it's beginning to sink in for me. It is game week, not a full slate of games, but still, Florida Miami. It's always been one of my very favorite uh, rivalries. Any of the three Florida teams that uh, play one another, I always went out of my way to watch it. It was much watched TV because. They have so much talent on the field. Not quite the way maybe it was in the 90s, but still. These are teams that um, their players went against each other in high school. They uh, clearly uh, have a certain hatred for one another, and there's a lot of talent on the field. It's just a fun, fun rivalry. Yeah, I call it kind of one of the new age rivalries because if you go back, it really wasn't much of anything back in the 50s or 60s and you know the programs um, certainly at Miami and Florida State were at a point where uh, they were independent uh, for years and years and they both considered dropping football until the population boom started to change things. Florida was an underachieving program forever. You know it had some success here and there and uh, but nothing that was sustained. And then we've talked about it before, and, you know, Charlie Pell comes in, and, you know, there, there starts to be a little bit of a growth, and with the population boom, well, then all of a sudden, uh, it, it it was like out of nowhere, um, all three became, you know, real factors. Florida became one of the better programs in the SEC. Florida State under Bobby Bowden. You know, and they play, you know, road games, seven, eight games, road games a year. And he built that program from nothing, you know, uh, in, in, uh, into a power. And then Howard Schnellenberger uh, builds what he called the state of Miami, where he just kind of locked off uh, uh, Dade County and got all those kids there. And, and all of a sudden, they kind of, you know, blossomed on in the scene. And then, you know, uh, the early 80s and 83 and beating that great Nebraska team. And then, lo and behold, you mentioned it. After that, it was on. I mean, it was it was, um, it was was one of those things you had to watch it. Of course, Miami, Florida State, every year, it's seeming like they opened up the season. And it was like these are two top five teams. Imagine this in today's day. If you had two teams, top five every year, and the winner of that game is likely going to end up playing for the national championship. This was pre-BCS. The loser was, you know, going to need some help to get back in it. But you watched it and you felt like those are 
two of the best teams of the country, and I'm not so sure they're not the two best, and that's the way it happened. And then, you know, Florida hasn't been as consistent with playing Miami, and we'll get into that. I know we've got some news on that, but I just think it's it's great. It's great for college football. It's great for that state. I think it's um, I think it helps uh, a lot of the natural progression of getting folks in that region uh, in in that state in particular excited about all three. And um, I think you know it's it's great as uh, as someone who kind of looks at things objectively. And I, I want to see everybody do well. But you, in my view, having all of three of these programs playing at a high level is just a whole lot of fun, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, you look at it, too, the, in this matchup, they just hadn't played a whole lot. It's not like Florida-Florida State or Miami-Florida State. Florida-Miami is a little bit different. You know, Miami is, had kind of had their run on them. They beat them in 2013. Then um, I know Florida came, I think it was 2008, with a win. And before that, they hadn't played since 2004 in, in a bowl game. Um, and so it, it's it, it just hasn't been a, a you know and, and I think Florida hadn't won um, since uh, one win actually I guess in that that 2008 game that I mentioned since you know like 1985 so it's a it's a game that I'd like to see more of absolutely but I'm, I'm gonna and I agree with you 100 percent I love this rivalry I love when the three teams from Florida play but let me play devil's advocate if I may for a second Chris. If I'm Florida, my SEC schedule is tough enough um, year in and year out, even though the East has is, is maybe been down a little bit. But now Georgia's back up to a high level. You have to go to LSU. And if I'm Miami, I don't know that I want Florida getting exposure. And th- this week's game is in Orlando, I want to be clear. But they have signed up for a home-and-home home in 24-25. If I'm Miami, I don't really want Florida the t- Technically, the state school getting exposure there in South Florida from a recruiting perspective. So even though you and I love it, I'm not sure that it makes sense for both teams. Am, am I wrong? Well, I mean, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's an interesting viewpoint. I, to me, I look at it differently. I, I think it's exactly what you want as a competitor. I think you want um, – you know, first of all, kids today in South Florida or anywhere, they're well aware of Florida. I mean, I think the whole exposure thing is, you know, I know like, um, for example, people talk, well, you know, like playing that game in Atlanta or, you know, in Dallas and it gives an exposure in recruiting. Well, not really, because kids in Nebraska and California are getting exposed to it just as much because they're seeing it on TV. Now, maybe if you are a young kid and you're 12, 13 years old and you maybe go to that game and maybe you just, you know, I don't know, your dad buys you a foam finger that has gators on it and maybe you just <laughs> get latched on it. Yeah, I think there's some of that. So I, I don't, I don't, I would not dismiss that. But I think in this day and age, you're, the exposure is there. I think you you the everybody knows who everybody is, and kids want to go where they're winners. Like today, kids today that don't don't know don't even know that Miami was a thing. You know, I, I mean, I mean, I grew up in an age where 
kids only knew that Miami was a thing. They didn't know that Miami was not relevant. And then, you know, because when you grew up in the 90s, those those kids that, that were being recruited, all they knew was Miami National Championship, Miami National Championship. Doesn't matter which coach. They win a national championship. They dominate. They got swagger. They, they're, they're hated, and then they're loved by whoever decides to go what direction with them. And then now, most of them don't know Miami's been any good because they don't remember those days. I think it's – when I say it's good, I think it's good for all three of the programs. Here's the thing. I think it helps you in recruiting. I think you can look at it both ways. I think, you know, kids will look at it and watch the game. I mean, it's exposure for both. It's good for both. I think it's good to keep, you know, uh, kids maybe more in-state and competitive. And I know there's a competition between the three programs in recruiting, but there's even a bigger competition in conference. And I think that it is imperative and it rises all three programs if you can keep those kids in-state. If I'm Florida and I'm losing out on a kid, I damn sure hope he goes to Florida State or Miami more than I want him to go to Georgia or Alabama. Even though I play Florida State and Miami on the schedule every year, if they were to play Miami every year, that is. So I think there's a you know, hey, well, why do you want? No, you, you want to get them yourself, and ideally you'd like them to go somewhere else where you don't, you don't play them, of course. But I think there's, to me, the competition can't be avoided. What I say is what's going to continue to happen is I think there's going to be a bigger and bigger emphasis on playing tougher teams and tougher schedules. There is no doubt that if I were going to make an argument against against Florida playing Miami, it would be this. I've got to play Florida State. I've got to play Miami. And I've got to play Georgia. And I've got to play LSU. And, you know, maybe every you know, once in a moon play. That's, that makes it a gauntlet for Florida that is really difficult. So I get it. I would make the case – more that it's a positive in recruiting, but a negative in schedules, meaning they may end up with, you know, traditionally more losses if you play. If Miami becomes an elite program again and Florida State does, then that's two big hurdles out of conference that you got to play. Um, that would be like, you know, Clemson and Georgia playing every year. And, you know, I, you know if you're, that, that makes it difficult to, to play both of those teams. If you're Florida with the SEC schedule now for Florida State, I think it, it in Miami being with the ACC schedule currently, I think it gives their schedule a boost by playing a really good team. So I kind of look at it both ways, but I look at it more from a scheduling. I think it's an advantage if you can play those teams on your schedule. Look, if, if, if the criticism that Florida gets is that they don't play a tough schedule out of conference. You know, they play the, the week games, and they don't go. Florida never leaves the state to play. Uh, they don't play. You don't ever see Florida going out and playing. Played Michigan, what, a year ago, two years ago. But rarely does that happen. It's like they never go out of state. Well, wouldn't it be better for the program if you, instead of going play Michigan or someone like that, wouldn't it be better to play Miami every year in addition to Florida State? If they were going to add that due to a competitive balance, I don't know, maybe do that. I think that would be good for the program. But they they do have to monitor their schedule. 
because you can make your schedule so difficult. And the committee says that they look at strength of schedule, but the reality is, oh, this team's got two losses where they're out. Well, I mean, if that's going to be the case, I definitely wouldn't, you know, play teams like this. I'd be get, if you're going to do that, committee, then give me all the Tennessee Martins and the Citadels that, that I can have. And then, you know, don't criticize me if you're not going to penalize me and you're just going to look and say, all right, let's look at all the one-loss teams and rank them. Now, you need to look at everybody because, you know what, there's some teams with and, and the, the, the world would just scream if you have a three-loss team that would be in, in – but I'm telling you, Dave, there's some three-loss teams that are clearly better than some teams that are unbeaten, you know, but the schedule affects that. So I, I think that the whole playoff – who you vote in and what the criteria affects whether you want to do this. But I, I think it has a lot of merit. But I think it's tougher for Florida. There's no doubt. I mean, for, could you imagine if they did this? And, and, you know, now I realize this is maybe cyclical. But if Florida, if, if Central Florida would have would have owned up and, and put Florida on their schedule and played Florida twice in Florida like they should have, like they need to, it, it, imagine that if Florida played Florida State, Miami, and Central Florida, and maybe yeah. South. I mean, you know, that would be interesting. And maybe say, well, it's too much Florida. No, that would be great for the excitement and the, the, the money and the, the fan bases. It would be great. I, I think it would be great for the programs, and I think it would be great for recruiting. I just don't know that if you load up on your schedule, you know, and you got two, three losses, maybe it throws you out of the playoffs. And if, it, and if that continues to be the case, well, then don't criticize these programs for playing a – uh, a tougher schedule. In fact, maybe criticize the programs that, like the Pac-12, that play an extra game. You know what? If the Pac-12 would just say, you know, we're going to play a soft game, you know, out of conference and we're not going to play nine games, our record would be better. And you know what? Because that's all people look at is the record and they don't really understand, you know, who's really the best teams. Then you know what? Load up on cupcakes. I, none of us want that. That's not good for the game. And I think playing tougher teams is the way to go. But you, but if you're not going to reward it, yeah, I agree with you. This would be a tough, tough matchup. Want to keep? Pardon me. Want to keep talking the uh, Florida Miami game? I got a question uh, for you uh, coming up. There seems to be a wide variance of opinions on uh, Felipe Franks. You and I've talked about him before, but it's been a while. So let's revisit that. Stay tuned. He's Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. Check out that website. You'll learn more about the NFL. You'll learn more about college, recruiting, everything you can possibly imagine. It's ball time. So hang tight. More after this, you're locked on SEC Football Podcast. He is Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. You are locked on SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast. Boy, I don't really know what to think of uh, Felipe Franks and some of these uh, preseason ratings that come out will definitely alter your opinion. I've seen him anywhere from about around a top 25 quarterback to a 45 to 50 quarterback. It just seems like we're still wondering what Felipe Franks is. Let me ask you a two-part question. One, what are his strengths and weaknesses, as it'll be, of course, uh, Florida and Miami this weekend. Franks' strengths and weaknesses, and uh, part two, if he takes another step, what does he need to address 
and how much better of a quarterback can he be with another year, uh, another offseason working with Dan Mullen? Well, strengths, he's a big kid. Um, he can see over the line of scrimmage his vision of being able to be in a position to see is pretty good, really good. He's got good arm strength. Um, he is more mobile than probably people know once he gets moving. Negatives, he doesn't have good feet. He doesn't slide in the pocket very well. So when he gets moving, he's okay. So I think some of the the half rolls and the boots and the waggles, he's pretty good at because he moves once he gets moving. But he's not very good in the pocket, both from a foot quickness standpoint and he doesn't have great vision. I mean, he doesn't see the field. He, I think because he gets a little jittery because he doesn't move and slide very well, um, and, and he just doesn't have a great pocket presence or field vision. His accuracy is very inconsistent. Um, what they have done with him, what Dan has done in particular, is develop more confidence in him. Dan is so good at taking what a quarterback can do and kind of making it friendly for him, building his confidence, and kind of avoiding the things he can't do well. And that's the reason for the increased production. That's why people are confused on him. Because, quite frankly, if you looked at him in the early stages of his career, he wasn't very good. And, quite frankly, he's still very limited. The production has gotten better because of how they utilized him, and he's becoming more confident. And I think making a few plays here or there and, you know, um, winning some games has, has, has built up his confidence. If you look at him against good defenses, he still struggles. Uh, he struggles to get the ball out on time, and he struggles with accuracy, you know. And so it's just inconsistent. There are times he can put the ball in where it's supposed to be, but what you have to do is design a lot of routes where the ball will come out with with a certainty of the first read or get rid of it because when he has to go through his progressive reads, A, he's slow to do it, and he's slow to pull the trigger, and therefore he's going to be inaccurate. And so it's very much scattershot. I don't know. To me, I think Dan has kind of taken his game and developed it as better than I thought he would. And I think that he could, you know, I, I expect him to take the next step and play even better this year, production-wise. Not that his skill sets are going to get appreciably better. He doesn't have next-level ability. So the people say, oh, well, he does this. No, he doesn't have the instincts, the anticipation to be an NFL quarterback. He'll get a chance, but he won't make it. Um, But what he does have is enough size and enough mobility on some half rolls where he can be very effective. And I think Dan's done a good job with him. Here's what I think is going to be interesting to watch. And I think it's going to be applicable to both quarterbacks in this game. Watch and see if they don't play, at least I would do it this way. I would play a little risk-averse style to start this game. I would build confidence in Williams if I were Miami and and with Franks. Even though one's a veteran and 
Um, been around a while. I, I think you got to build confidence. I think the ball has to come out quick against this Miami defensive front, particularly their linebackers. I think they're going to have to make uh, uh, open up things for the run game. And in order to do that, they're going to have to get those athletic Miami linebackers moving laterally. So I think the swing passes, the screen games would be in play. And I think building up some confidence, get those Miami linebackers flowing left and right, and then I think you can attack a little bit in the passing game. Now, if Miami comes out and overloads it, well, then you got one-on-one matchups. Then it's easy throws. And quite frankly, you don't need to be all that accurate to make plays. Uh, but I think making it – I would not want to sit there and unless they're overloading the front to start the game, I would definitely be risk-averse if I were Florida. And Now, I, I listen, I love fans – but, you know, you get this a lot. Oh, this Felipe Francis, turn the corner. He's going to be great. He's not. That, that that credit goes to Dan Mullen. He's milked as much out of him as you can. I think there's a little bit more that Dan can get out of him. But I'm a little bit surprised at this point that, I mean, I, I, I think Felipe's done a good job for him. I don't think Felipe Franks is is Dan's ideal type of quarterback, which, again, is more credit, again, on top of what I've just said, to what Dan is doing. I, I Apparently, Emory Jones is not doing enough in practice. I'm not saying that he should be the starter over Felipe, but because pretty clearly Felipe deserves it because he's obviously played better and has a better feel for things. But in terms of a style of a quarterback – you know, athletic traits, Emory Jones is the type of guy that would fit what ideally Dan wants to do. He must not have been able to grasp it to this point as much as Felipe, because I think Felipe has limitations. And again, I want to hear, oh, man, Landry just uh, you know, down on Felipe. No, no, it's just that's what you have to do. This is, this is what we do as scouts and evaluators. He's got limitations. And I credit the young man for adjusting and – developing some confidence and being coachable with Dan, because quite frankly, uh, he was a hot mess with Jimmy Mack. And, you know, he's done, he's been a solid quarterback now. He really has, and he's not hurting him in any way. I still don't think it's a strength, but I think the kid's doing a really good job, and Dan's done a phenomenal job with him. News out of South Carolina coming up next, and a former SEC coach with a very serious health condition, so we shall discuss that. Stay tuned. You're locked on SEC football podcast. He's Chris Landry at LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. You are locked on SEC football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. You're locked on SEC football podcast, and um, again, we're right around the corner We've got uh, Florida, Miami. It'll be this weekend, a week zero action. Chris, they got to come up with a better name than week zero, though. <laughs> it I mean, sounds uh, ominous. It sounds like uh, it's a zero week. It's like uh, zero just doesn't come across very good. I'm with you. Um, I don't know. Maybe, get, maybe we'll, we'll do that. Let's have a contest for our listeners out there. Send us your tweets. Send us your suggestions. We'll pass them along to the powers that be. I don't know, uh, weekend extravaganza, um, pre-Labor Day weekend. Uh, boy, you can tell I'm bad at this. We need your help, folks. Yeah, week zero is 
not the best way to describe it. It kind of tells you where we are. <laughs> it tells you a week before week one, but yeah, it's it's not uh, it's not the uh, entertaining. Uh, I don't want to be crass here, but when I, when I first got introduced to Chinese food, and I like Chinese food, but it, growing up in South Louisiana, we didn't have much Chinese food, and when they start talking about it, the, the one of the first things I had, and, and again I apologize, but they had something called a poo poo platter, and I'm like, <laughs> as a kid, I'm saying. How the hell am I going to get excited about Chinese food when you try to sell it that way? It just, you know, I mean, egg rolls, I mean, you know, okay, I don't know. What is it? You take eggs and you roll on. You know what I mean? But a lot of the things, um, but to me, week zero is kind of the same way. Yeah, we know what it is. We're excited about it. I'm with you, man. We need to we need to get our listeners on that. Come on, folks. Let's help us with that. And we, yeah, we, we, we don't care what anybody else does. We'll call it what you want us to call it. We'll have a little contest on that. Yeah, we'll, we'll officially change the name forever, uh, at least on our podcast. Yeah. Um, That's all Columbia, that matters, by the way. To Columbia, South Carolina, uh, you really like uh, Brian Edwards, senior wide receiver. Why? Well, he's got a lot of speed, and he's really had a good camp. He's really improved his route running, and I, I think he's got a chance to kind of take his game to the next level. Um, you know, South Carolina is an intriguing team. We've talked about him. I think they have a chance to be a pretty good team. I'm afraid nobody's going to know about it because I think they're going to, with their schedule, they're going to lose some games. But, you know, this is one of those teams that if they end up, like, with an 8-4 and four record, this will be one of the best. I mean, this will be a really good season for them. And I don't think people are going to appreciate it enough. That You know, playing Alabama, Georgia, Florida, a <laughs> Clemson. I mean, you know, Jake Bentley is a guy that's got to settle down. I worry about their running game, but I think they can throw the football. If they can't run it better and they can't play better at the line of scrimmage in their run blocking, then they won't be. I mean, they'll they'll end up six and six or seven and five. I mean, because that's the real key is Bentley makes a lot of mistakes because he forces it from behind. But this young man, I think, could make a lot of plays for him in the passing game if they've got balance. They can work the play action. They can get the defense sucked in a little bit. I think there's there's definitely a chance. So Brian Edwards. Nice size, highly recruited kid. I think this could be his year where he settles with Jake Bentley. I want to turn for a moment kind of outside the SEC with a former SEC coach. And you had Hugh Freeze, who was sidelined with what they thought was back spasms for a while. Turns out it's a serious staph infection that they said in another 24 hours it could have gotten in his bloodstream and he'd be battling for his life. Uh, obviously, he's in our thoughts and prayers, his recovery, glad everything appears to be uh, on the mend. Um, but did want to ask you about Hugh Freeze. Let's say the off-field issues uh, go away, that that's not a factor anymore, and I have no reason to believe that he's um, not going down that path. I certainly hope so. What's his path back to a Power 5 type of school, or is that possible? Is he always going to have his background working against him? I think that his path is obviously a lot of success offensively, you know, winning some games at Liberty. Um, You know, having a show. Who do they play? Help me here, Dave. I'm forgetting. They play somebody pretty good early um, and I can't remember off the top of my head. I uh, apologize for that. But Syracuse. Syracuse. Okay, there we go. 
perform well in those type of games because, you know, people will see the scores. They won't watch the games. Um, putting up some big numbers and maybe playing a game, you know, like Syracuse playing them well, uh, if they were to pull an upset over somebody like that, that, that bodes well. And just, you know, having, having the success on the field. I think the off-the-field stuff, and let, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm like anybody else. It's any, anybody's guess is as good as mine on this. I, I think that over time, I think it's a forgiving society. I think that, you know, um, it's tougher in college, as you well know. Um, the, the, the effect of, you know, having a, a secret life of calling hookers and doing that, it, 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 it certainly – look at Mike Price. Mike Price got the job at Texas El Paso after the embarrassing situation at Alabama. Now, I don't know, lap dances. Or the, or the, I mean, you know, you can kind of make, make of it what you want. Dealing with, you know, kids and recruiting, that's tougher. I mean, I think that he's a college guy. He's a recruiter. You know, if he wanted to work in the NFL as an analyst, as an assistant, he could have had a job, you know, not maybe not right away, but very soon. Um, it's not as toxic as Art Browse. That's a different situation. With you, it's a morality issue, which people will look at that. That's a whole lot different than what is perceived as covering up rape on your campus, knowingly doing that. That's the perception of Art Browse. And Art has not really come out to clean his name out and has not apologized. He's not done anything. So Art is, I know this conversation is about Hugh, but to put it in context, I think you can get back. But he's got to have success because, you know, I think time will heal that. But David, he's, and we wish him the well health-wise, of course, um, and pray for good health. I think if he does that, I think he's tried to be repentant. We're in a forgiving society. Could I see him in a couple of years with success coming back to an SEC or a, I'm not spreading rumors about where he's going, to, a Florida State type program or something in the South where he has a lot of background, where that's where he'd be comfortable and his family would be comfortable. Um I, I, I think there's ever reason to believe that he should, you know, could have another opportunity. But if he doesn't have the success, Dave, well, then why would you want to deal with that? Because you're going to have some, you're going to have to answer some questions as an athletic director when you hire him. But you know, I think that becomes, you know, look, he, whatever the case is, he's repented. He's, you know, he's moving on. It's between he and his family. He's He's got a different lease on life, whatever, whatever. I think the biggest problem with you, to be honest with you, is not that he called hookers, which is bad enough, that people see him as a hypocrite. He had a nickname in the SEC among SEC coaches. They called him Coach Swag, short for Jimmy Swagger. And for people who don't know, Dave, you're familiar with Jimmy Swagger. Jimmy Swagger is the famous televangelist and in Baton Rouge, actually, and he was, you know, the, the high and mighty, and you repent, and he got caught with a prostitute in a big ring, guys, back in the 80s. And that's, that's, what, they, that's what they called Hugh Freeze. A lot of people kind of knew 
that that Hugh was very hypocritical because Hugh wore his religion on his sleeves. I mean, it was just everything was Bible this and Bible that, and and you know I don't think people like that when you're a hypocrite. Now people may you know like the whole you know professing your faith thing, but when you're doing that and then calling hookers, that's that's a that 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 thing probably hurts him more than else is you're a phony. You're a hypocrite. And I think that's that's really hurt him. Can he survive it? Look, we all know that if you if he has a lot of success, I think he can do it. I mean, what do you think about people's willing to forgive somebody like that? I'll be honest with you, if I'm an A D I'd have more concern about the the recruiting issues. You know, you had the Laramie Tunzel Tunzel situation at the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I, from covering recruiting, I heard a lot, a lot of things, <laughs> some of which have come to light, uh, some of which never did. I would have more concern about the potential NCAA ramifications, than, and that would be written very strongly into his contract, than I would honestly call an escort. Um, I, I, I don't want, listen, if you call escorts again, I can fire you. If you, um, get me an NCAA trouble, then my whole program's in jeopardy. That, mm-hmm. to me, would be even a bigger concern than the morality issue. Yeah, and some of that would have an effect negatively on recruiting as well with parents. But, no, you're right. All right, so you – and I'm not suggesting that you hire either one, but you're choosing which one you're taking, Hugh Freeze Lane Kiffin. And I know it depends on what program. Let's say you're at a program that is not one of the elites, but kind of a good program. Uh, let's call it mid-level SEC, um, maybe upper mid ACC-ish, kind of in that range where it's in the South and in back. Or, you know, so just kind of no, not any specific team. Uh, if you have to choose between one of the two, who would you take? I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I know Lane pretty well, and mm-hmm. uh, we we still have a relationship. So I do know that he has um, gotten all into uh, in improving himself as a person. I do know that he, goodness gracious, he reads more self-help books than anybody I, I know. But so I would um, – I would hire Lane, but I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. Yeah, to well, it's a fair, it's fair. Well, it's interesting because I think that, and, and I don't mean to compare him because, you know, Lane um, Lane has had issues too. A lot of people have um, off the field issues and NCAA issues. Uh, no, you're right. It's a fair point. But I wish, uh, I, I feel bad because I know this. I know Hugh Freeze is one hell of a coach. For people who don't know, he was at Argeron's recruiting coordinator at Ole Miss. He is a Mississippi guy. And and I want to say this correctly, Ole Miss fans. And I and I, I I don't I don't mean this. This is it's it's like throwing salt in the wound. I, I don't mean it to be this way. I thought he was the perfect Ole Miss coach. He was an Ole Miss guy, a Mississippi guy. I'm not saying he would would have never left cuz you know, there it could have been a, a something bigger for him out there. I am beyond saddened because I think the guy's a great coach, and I think it's a waste because I think he's made some decisions that has really obviously hurt his career. It's, it's killed his career to this point, damaged it severely, let's say. And I thought that 
he was the best chance for Ole Miss to have sustained success in a program that, quite frankly, I, I, I mean, I don't want to say he was once in a lifetime, but he's once in a generation. He was the modern-day Johnny Vaught back when Johnny Vaught coached. You know, it's before integration, and Ole Miss was a power. They weren't that, but this was as good as it's going to get at Ole Miss. You know, and then now they've lost it. Now they're scrambling again, and now they're going to have to, you know, find their guy, and I don't think anybody's going to match up to what, you know, Hugh Freeze was doing on a consistent basis going forward. So I feel bad for Ole Miss, and I feel bad for Hugh, but when I say I feel bad for him, I'm I'm more angry that, you know, he's a dumbass for, for acting the way he did to cost himself his career. And I think it's an arrogance and that we all make mistakes. And he made a, a huge one that I'm I'm as a football guy, a coach and as evaluator, I, I just it's upsetting because I think he's a real talented guy. If he wasn't real talented, wasn't a very good coach then it wouldn't be that big of a loss. It's like a, a great player that just can't get it right. You know what? Sometimes we need to stop and say when you're looking at those players, hey, sometimes you got coaches that can't get it right. Very true. I know, I know you want to say something about uh, Blake Anderson. Oh, yes. yes situation. Uh, yeah, Blake Anderson is one of the bright up-and-coming coaches in college football at Arkansas State. Prayers are with him. He's stepping aside. His wife is battling cancer. Um, so don't know how long, don't know, it, it, you know, but to step aside at this stage, obviously it's very serious. So prayers are with the Anderson family and the Arkansas State program in Jonesboro, but a really bright coach that um, is going through some tough battles. So, um, again, uh, thoughts and prayers are, are with him. Absolutely. That's your Locked on SEC Football podcast. Please leave us a review. We will talk to you Wednesday, a game a day closer to an actual game, which is Saturday, Florida-Miami. For Chris Landry, I'm Dave Hooker, your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow, everyone.